And it is Carcon Carney, the first episode of the new year. And the first episode of the new year means brand new sponsor. You know, I'm seeing a lot of houses in my area where I live. They're on the market for way more than I'd expect. I, I can't believe how much homes are selling for in my area. You know what they have in common? Newer roofs. A new roof can increase your property value by about 7%, not to mention having a positive impact on your energy bills. Suburban Roofing and Siding is a family-owned company serving the Chicagoland area. Cook, Lake, McHenry, Kane, DuPage counties. You can trust their more than 40 years of collective experience. They warrant their workmanship for a lifetime as long as you own the home. Their premium shingles are backed with a full 20-year non-prorated transferable manufacturer warranty. Not to mention, it's a green product. You guys are no stranger to green products, I bet. Totally. <laughs> we, put them, we put them away before you came. Call 224-677-6149 or visit them at suburbanroofingandsiding.com. Suburban roofing. Roofing. <laughs> roofing. Roofing. And siding.com. It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. Ghost Forest, the self-titled album from Ghost Forest. It is, it is raw. It is sophisticated. It is post-punk. It is wonderful. I'm here with Ghost Forest. Uh, in the middle, if you're watching this on Facebook or on YouTube, in the middle, it is Gub. Uh, you may know him from well, Gage, probably Gage. most famously. Sure. Uh, to Gub's right, if you're watching this, uh, it is Brent McRae. He plays bass guitar in Ghost Forest. You may know him from. Well, from filmmaking and props and Chicago rot, we did a podcast episode here. We did at the Rot Shop years ago to talk about Chicago rot. We did. This is my art studio, but it's I would say it's our art studio because there's a handful of people that work here, film stuff, whatever. Like me, yeah. <laughs> this I want to talk about the Rot Shop. Uh, before we do, to my right, he is a drummer. He is a drummer without peer. He is James Kimball. Uh, you may know him from bands like Mule. Laughing Hyenas, The Jesus Lizard, Dennison Kimball. Thank you. What what a lineup here. <laughs> what, a, what a band. It, it's Ghost Forest. And before we talk about the band, what is Rot Shop? Explain this. Because on the table with us, there's a bust of Ted Bundy. I got to tell you, most bands don't bring that to an interview. Uh, like I said, it's, our, uh, it's my art studio, but there's a handful of us that work here together on different projects. We do a lot of video and filmmaking, effects, uh, scenic building, set building. It's Honestly, we work on our own stuff, so it just really depends on what the project is as to how this place works. It was the nerve center for the film Chicago Rot that a bunch of us made, and I kept it, and now it's the nerve center for everything that we all do. I mean, I walk in the door, and I think I want to live here. I mean, there's horror stuff and sci-fi and yeah, fantasy. I not want to live here, but, <laughs> but all, yeah. I want to I visit have, here I, I, more I, I, often. Yeah, I lived here for years. I want to be here more in frequently. Walls, How about that? Literally in the walls. So uh, be, uh, before we were doing Ghost Forest, uh, we... The three of us and some other people worked on the, the movie score for the Chicago Rot movie. Um, I had quit playing drums for a long time, and Brant got me back into playing drums to do the movie score. And then we started writing songs after that. So um, It was kind of the precursor to the getting this band together. Uh, were you sick of making music, or was there something else? Uh, I just, uh, I don't know. I guess I didn't care for a while. and uh, I'm glad you care again. 
I, I did a band with uh, Ed Roser from Urge Overkill around 2000. We made a record, great record. It still hasn't come out. It was supposed to come out on Matador Records back then. Wait, was this Electric Airlines? Uh, no, it was the Kimball Roser effect. Okay, that's, oh my God. So it's a great record. So of all the records I've made, it's the only one that hasn't come out. So maybe someday, it's still a great record. Um, in an odd coincidence, one year ago today, I recorded with Ed Roser in my car. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so every year. Well, I'm happy for him. You know, I I talk to him occasionally over the years, and uh, eventually it'll come out. You know, we did like a U.S. Canadian tour back then, and, uh, you know, it was cool. But so, enough about that. But here you are. (laughs) I I guess since we were talking about the rot shop and the stuff you did for Chicago Rot, I'm looking at props and all sorts of cool stuff. I, I guess what surprised me most about the two videos I've seen from you so far is that they're straight-up performance no effect, videos yeah. and there's nothing rotty about it. We shot all that during the pandemic. Uh, you know, Gub and I currently work at Metro. Uh, James used to work there, so he got canned. And uh, during the pandemic, we were getting towards getting ready to start thinking about re- you know doing our album, recording our album, and uh, you know, lo and behold, a pandemic happens, and we were talking to Joe one night, and he was like, why don't Joe you record Shanahan, at Metro? Order, Joe Shanahan, yeah, owner yeah, of Metro. Yeah, Joe Shanahan, yeah, owner of Metro. And he's like, why don't you record at Metro? And, we're, I mean, we had no other options. I mean, not we that we would We yeah. have a live room to do any kind of no, and in the city right now. And I guess James had recorded up there before. So he yeah, so I recorded there great. with that record I made with Ed Roser. There was actually a studio up there back around 2000. Um we did the drums and and some of the guitars there. Then we did the rest at uh, Chicago Recording Company downtown. Yeah, we basically uh, took some of uh, our video fam and just said, "Come down there while we're recording." You know, so what we caught was actually us recording. And this wasn't the main Metro stage. This was Top Note Theater, right? Yeah, that's correct. The Haunted Theater. The Haunted Theater, uh, which I've only been in maybe twice in my life. I I mean, back in the day, that's where the Pumpkins rehearsed Mm -hmm. and Smoking Popes rehearsed. I remember when we did Guns N' Roses as well. Guns N' Roses lived there. Yeah, they lived there. Like Slash and uh, one of the other guys. Who was the other dude? Are you guys playing excellent. a drinking game where every time Guns N' Roses is mentioned, you have to take a shot? Is yeah. that what I just saw? Maybe. <laughs> Drinking's not a game. Maybe. That's what Axel would say. I don't know him as smart bards many times. So, uh, the origin story, and it seems appropriate in a place like this to talk about origin stories, because we're living in a comic book right now. Uh, the origin story, you guys came together before the pandemic happened. Take it from there. Well, um... I've known these guys, uh, I don't know, since maybe the mid to late 90s. Later After 90s, I, yeah. I moved here from Detroit, and then I ended up, you know, I was I played in Jesus Lizard for a couple of years. Uh, after I was doing that, I got a job at the Metro, and that's when I became friends with these guys. And uh, unlike many of my other bands where, you know, you're like around each other all the time, and eventually you fucking hate each other. You know, we've remained friends, you know, all these years, you know, there's conflicts, but uh, we're doing this band uh, because we feel good about just playing music and, uh, you know, not trying to rule the world like I I thought I was trying to do when I was in my 20s, but... We are. We all are. (laughs) What? We're out to rule the world, Kimball. So we're actually friends. So that's like the most important thing, I think, about this band. The album... The, the the self-titled album, it feels like a live album. 
It doesn't feel like there were many overdubs, extra takes. This feels like a band coming together and just banging shit out. And I, I say that in the kindest way. I think that was the general intent we were trying to do is take a live feel to our sound. Um, I think that the way we recorded uh, was definitely uh, on the raw. Um, we did a lot of stuff, you know, old school with new school mixtures going on. There is some little bit of overdubs in it, but only stuff to accent certain things. It's not to over portray. Because that you, you definitely have an aesthetic. Oh, you have that that, that raw kind of sure. And then, you know that's the weird thing about this band too. Unlike some of the other bands I've done, there's been a lot. There's a lot of organic chemistry in this band. I think there's uh, you know trying to encompass an album uh, and record it for what it sounds like live it it never will do it again because every time we play live it always sounds just a little bit different there's always something else that's accented differently or played differently or connected differently so so I, uh while we were preparing uh you know it was like you know we're doing a live show every time we practice we did some demos at the uh thanks to the Montrose Saloon for letting us do demos there in kind of a live setting uh, the way we recorded the drums, uh, for the most part, there was no click track. We just got up there and played, and they were in my headphones, and uh, maybe three or four songs we used a click track. So we tried to do it like a live show. I love it. I, the two singles you did for this, there's um, Buried Alive and Less of Age. Let's have Age. Mm -hmm. The song that to me sounds the most single-ish, single-like, on the album is Living in Hard Times. I, I think that's the most interesting song on the record. Well, it's I, one of my favorites. And, I, I uh, want to talk about the way you approach the chorus. It's such a, it feels unorthodox to me. Uh, it's a very layered um, chorus. Uh, very unusual to me because I really thought about like how Brant and I would correlate with each other, how we would layer it. And um, just thinking about kind of almost talking at each other but also kind of uh interjecting that non-romantic relation if that mm -hmm. makes any sense sure so you know a lot of times you get in a, a song where you know i was in a band called even the blackouts so we do a lot of stuff that was very like back and forth um you know she said he said you know kind of we're in a confrontation and this is just more like two minds thinking as one i think with living in the hard times because that song's kind of a um Ironically, I will say this right now that uh, Naked Raygun released the same song called Living in Hard Times. And, you know, I think we wrote maybe the song at the same time. And Jeff and I have known each other for many years. Um, but it was ironic that, you know, same paradox, same time, same title. Songs are, don't sound anything like each other. But Well, hey, uh, I think that uh, you wrote that song before the pandemic. Oh, I did write some and we can, we considered changing the name so everyone would not think that it, it is because of the pandemic. It's one of the I first agree. songs we wrote. Living the hard yeah. times. So it's yeah. like maybe the fourth or fourth song we wrote. I think fourth or fifth, something like that. I thought it was a little bit up there. In the so it's, it's really not about the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> it really wasn't about the pandemic. Well, it's it was not prior. like shit wasn't hard before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, it was kind of the concept. It was just kind of like I mean, the song's about struggle. It's about trying to like. You know, everything you do, always self-doubting yourself, going through battles with your own mind, trying to achieve things you want to in life, and just that echoing in your mind of, like, you know, trying to pick yourself up. It's hard. And, you know, making the decisions that you want to make. And that's really what I think the song's about. It's just, like, kind of push through, carry on, 
it really doesn't fucking matter. Just keep doing it, you know, and uh, do do what you want to, you know, because that's what's important. Another song that I think is fantastic on this. I mean, they're all fantastic. Let's be honest. It's Ghost Forest. No Thank one, you. No one. I, this is probably the wrong way to describe it, but it has the sexiest intro uh, of anything on the album. <laughs> it, 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 there's, a, there's a vibe there. No one. Really, a sexy vibe to no one. You want to hear something funny? Is You're even talking about like living in hard times being like uh, the song that was the song for you that you would think would be the single. Obviously, when we were trying to figure this out and playing this album for all our friends and just what sticks out to you, what's, you know, and yeah. trying to make that decision, uh, everyone had a different idea. Of course. <laughs> you yeah. know what Which I mean? is a good sign, right? Uh, well, yeah, but the, when the you're sitting around trying to figure out which way, you know, basically like we have no management, we have no booker. We're doing this post our 50s you know on our own and how are we gonna get out of the gates here you guys don't look a day over 30 <laughs> so you know it's like i think generally we were we were all like we want to get out of the gates yeah with a big fist in the face you know what i mean you, you'll find those out find those other songs on the album when you listen to them but we wanted to kind of get out a little bit bigger than that but well you're you're not the first person that liked uh uh living in the hard times so we've got feedback on that that the a lot of people prefer that song. Trailblazer, that that's a whole mood. Uh, there's there's a slow. We just made that up. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That version was totally and made up. Gave it four inches. That version was a very fun. That fir- version was a very fun version to record because there's actually live takes from the click from us doing the live performance for drums actually mixed in with doing layering, just to make it work because we did an extra long measures on that song. And uh, it just sounded so great. Some of the things were so vibrant. We wanted to keep them. There's, ac- there's actually extra drum tracks on there, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That wasn't even the end of the song. Right? I, on my notes, preparing for this interview, I described it as an orgy of sound, which now that I'm hearing the background, that's fair. So I put some symbols on my snare. I put some symbols on my snare. And my floor tom. So we did, uh, we did two overdubs. So that's like three drum parts on that on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I I miss in the day and age of a la carte music, where people just kind of listen to songs, song by song, they don't focus on the album. I miss the art of sequencing a record. I, I think that is a lost art. Uh, Trailblazer in particular, was that intentionally sequenced at the end because it's the longest song on the album? Was it an outlier? How would, how would we describe that? I mean, that was always kind of like our last song, even live. We always liked playing it. Yeah, sure. Even in practice, it was, I mean, I'm not I even sure if it that. was actually a song for a long time. It was like one of those things we just warm up to. I think uh, we wrote that right before we started recording. recording it. So it was the last song that was written. Um, as far as sequencing, I think very important, the spacing between songs on a bunch of records I've made. You know, like going into the space between songs. Uh, I feel really good about uh, that on this record. It, mm-hmm. it flows really well. I mean, that's going to be very interesting once the actual LP comes out because we still need a sequence for that. And that obviously, you know, if you know anything about doing albums, a lot of people don't know. Um, just time spacing, how the song's going to sequence. Now you're dealing with basically, you know, two starts and two stops to. A recording mm-hmm. versus like everyone's used to the digital recording where it's like you start the album and there's the end of the album well that doesn't really work with vinyl because you have a you know a so so imposed beginning end and a beginning and end 
So if you're putting this out on vinyl, we can expect that in 2025? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. Since like, you know, what is it, two-year turnaround right now? Um, something like that. We did find some places in um, Canada that actually will be doing faster turnaround, but and we'll be, see if that works as well. They'll be polite about it. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> That's, uh, it's only human to wonder if you're human. Tell me what Jobs is about. Oh, exactly. You know what that's about? That's about being Chicagoan. That's about just working and bashing your brains in to continuously keep on working and working while you dig yourself into a hole to the end of time. That that's was the, the first song. That wrote. was the very first song that we wrote. I remember him. I remember us working on this song and Gub finally putting some lyrics on it. <laughs> and he had also just come back to Chicago from Louisville. Uh and I remember thinking, like, hearing these lyrics, and I'm like, oh, he's in a bad place. <laughs> <laughs> digging myself digging in, myself. man. <laughs> digging myself, digging a ditch. I'm I mean, like, that's well, all it is. You just, you know, you're working, and you're just digging deeper, and you're never getting out of that that continuous path. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, you're on a friggin' treadmill. It just never ends, and you're like, they just raise the taxes, and you know, like they just did, which I couldn't believe I got my tax bill was eight hundred dollars more a month. Somebody, somebody though, else had talked about the way you're saying it because you're saying I'm digging myself, digging myself, digging myself while I'm digging this ditch. And yeah. someone was telling me that one of the shows they're like, yeah, it's kind of like you're in a good mood while you're just digging, digging your, your own grave. grave. Exactly, yeah. it's kind of what it is like. I'm I like, mean, well. Guns and Roses. <laughs> Guns and Roses. There it is. Um, well, so again, the album, it's self-titled. You can stream it now. I love it. Gub, I mentioned Gage at the beginning of this interview. I mean, you were there at the beginning of the 1990s. Here you are 30-plus years later writing spirited punk rock music. What have you learned through the years as a musician, as a singer, as a songwriter? Wow, that's a good question because, um, you know, one thing I know about songwriting is that um, you're either ahead of your time, behind your time, or right in time. So, you know, I think right now, when we were just getting ready to record, we were right in time. And then the pandemic hit, and it kind of just pushed us back a little bit in time. But um, songwriting, you know, it always comes from the same place. I've always said this before, you know, many years ago. I always said it's like I have an antenna in my head, and I'm just receiving signals from the greater out and unknown. And uh, just, I'm just, a, I'm just a scribe. I'm scribing down what I'm hearing. You know, that's kind of the, kind of the context of that. It's like, sometimes I don't know if I have a purpose for what I'm writing. Sometimes I'm just hearing whatever the universe is telling me. And James, so, you've certainly, your, your resume, if you had a LinkedIn profile, it'd be pretty fucking cool to go up and down and look at all that you've done. Well, awesome. I, I would say, uh, Uh, My involvement in songwriting is, you know, I just pour everything I got into it, you know, just, uh, I don't know what happens in my brain, it's crazy, Um, it just just fucking comes out, you know, it's not pretentious, it's real, it's like, uh, completely, and uh, I second that notion with me, many of these bands that got to play in, I think it was the same thing, we were all just, you know, pouring it out and not trying to force anything just you know so when i play drums i'm that's me and my inner craziness well i always get the sense based on what you recorded who you recorded it with you have 
you don't want to be pigeonholed as a drummer, like sonically, the styles of music you play, the bands you played with, you like experimenting and. Oh yeah, some you know some some of the things I did were other people were guiding me. Um, I'm very fortunate for after I moved here in uh, summer of '93 after Mule, uh, Dwayne Dennison from Jesus Lizard kind of took me under his wing. He's like, hey. You know, I wanted to do like a rock band. And he's like, "Hey, no, we're gonna do this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to play brushes. You know, I want you, you know, you know, do just calm down. You know, like, and something. Okay, you know. So and then a couple of years later, he said, "Don't calm down. Yeah. Be loud and aggressive." Yeah. So, but you know, we we toured the U.S. and Canada with the Dennis and Kimball Trail. We made those three records. Uh, I'm proud of that. You know, it kind of. Uh, I had a hard time. Uh, the year after I moved here to Chicago and that kind of, he, he lifted me up definitely. And then getting to play with Jeez Lizard was just unreal. And, uh, we opened up for Bush for a month. That was pretty fucking crazy. And, uh, how does Gavin Rossdale walk on stage after that performance? <laughs> yeah, really. how? Well, you know, at the time I think, uh, it, he wanted more credibility for, for Bush, you know, like underground credibility. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I was told. And he was a fan of the Jeez Lizard, which was not my band. I just got to play with them. Um, but he was kind of like the the David Cassie, the Donny Osmond of the '90s. That's fair. You know, that's fair. So like, so at, at the shows, it was all like twelve year old girls with with their their parents. So when we went on stage, you know, they were fucking horrified. And, and, <laughs> And, uh, you know, and it was made very, very clear, you know, <laughs> David Yao, do not take your clothes off on stage or you're going to get arrested. So that might like, be the only string in... of shows that he probably ever did. Not naked. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, or yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of, you know, different things going on in that tour. Maybe, I don't know, there might have been some drugs and, and uh, uh, but it was fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> got to do it. All right. So. You mentioned the vinyl edition. I kidded about 2025. We can probably expect the record this year. That's a goal, and that's a definite goal for us. You know, I think that's a feasible goal. We can probably get that out. We've had a lot of interest already. Um, people wanting to purchase the vinyl. I think vinyl's a resurgence, which is awesome. I think it's resurged. I mean, oh, it's hit it here. is in America. It definitely is in Europe. You know, last time when I was there in 2019 on tour with another band that I that I that I still do. Um, uh, you know, vinyl's just the thing you know it's the only thing you can't steal on the internet right now for sure not I, yet vinyl's a sickness i just last night there was a vinyl auction on facebook live which is kind of like qvc but for music nerds and i'm like bidding on these records i'm like fuck phil collins face value 12 dollars. i'm in bid yeah. <laughs> i and portis had dummy 30 bucks. I'm like, what am I doing? I got to turn this off. Like, no, you know what it is? It, what it is with America with vinyl, we really love something tangible. Yeah. We miss going to a record store and just being, look at the cover. Let's grab that thing and check it out. You know, I, I think we're so oversaturated with like, you know, this is what it is and this is what it is and you should listen to this and before you had to really search out what you wanted to. Yeah. There was, the genres were gone. There was no genres. There was rock. They came up with alternative. It was still like punk rock was a thing, was an identity. It wasn't even really a music. It was still an identity and I think, you know, through all these years, everything's like broken down everything into such micro genres that everyone's lost the connection with just like, hey, I'm just going to pick this up and this looks cool, and I like it. It doesn't matter if anybody else likes it. I like it. I like the way this looks. Yeah. 
Oh, I don't like how it sounds. Great. Whatever. Get rid of it. Oh, I like how this sounds, but maybe not the way it looks. You know, it's that whole connection with you being an individual going out, finding something that's tangible in your hand and listening to it and going, this, I have connection with it. doesn't matter if it's alternative. doesn't matter if it's called classical. It can be called shit rock for who cares. The thing is that you, you enjoy this, this, this thing that you're hearing. Well, and you everyone's know? a collector at heart. Correct, correct. So cool so. that they're uh, reissuing a lot of records with uh, special packaging. And uh, uh, my band Laughing Hyenas, for instance, uh, our records got reissued by Third Man Records, uh, Jack so White. So cool. You know, colored vinyl, new packaging. So uh, they do a really nice exciting. job with the records. He, you know, he's he's a good guy. I love it. Well, I I think knock wood, which I am. Uh, I think these generations behind us. I, we mentioned you guys are in your fifties. I might be in my fifties as well. Um, the younger generations, I think. Is that a it. joke? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's think, no joke in fifty. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, I think younger generations get it. I mean, I, yeah. I I live in a three turntable house. My son and daughter both have turntables, and my son and I have a standing agreement. He's really into metal, like, ser- like, shit. I haven't heard about the stuff yeah. that like Kerrang won't touch. It's too far off the beaten path. Yeah. Um, but we have a deal. Like, if I find a metal record with a cool cover for less than ten dollars, buy it. If it looks cool, he wants to hear it. Like that's the way I used to buy records when I was a kid. Sure. So I think there's hope. There is hope. I think I think you know, I think once it goes from identity to interpretation, I think that'll really help out. Mm-hmm. When it's not like I look like this, so I'm a part of this because Guns it's and this roses. group. Guns and Roses. Well, I'm at the so cheers. <laughs> I just got that joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that'll start maybe connecting people. I you know I do you know what's weird is I I enjoy this phenomena of like the internet sensation bands, the ones that like get 6 million hits on like TikTok or whatever the hell it is. And then become like sellouts throughout the, you know, it's, it's really and interesting. And playing their first show. Their first show. I think it's from really, their bedroom onto a stage. <laughs> I yeah. find it very exciting it. in some way because it's like, you know, here's this kid that put his passion into it. Is it really that, or is it just some guy that's like really good at like bullshit. marketing? I think it's I know, bullshit. I'm saying, but is it really good? Someone good at marketing. That's what I'm coming. Yeah. My point is like, is it this kid that's got like, oh, my heart's so into this, or is it someone that's just really great at marketing and like make I, you a sensation? I think, it, I think it can be both. Yeah, I, I don't begrudge both people for making music. And, and I don't make grudge people for making music either. <laughs> All right, joking, sorry. so Ghost Forest, <laughs> Ghost Forest, not Guns and Roses, not Guns and Roses. We say not, uh, can't do it. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what your question is, yeah. but uh, first off, uh, in the 80s and 90s, you, you picked a name for your band, and you're like, there can't possibly be another band with that name in the world. And there's no internet, and you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and now, like, we, we made a list of, like, 150 band names before we picked the name more than that and <laughs> every single one you know like every single combination of word is taken oh, yeah. google it and uh we are the only ghost for us yeah <laughs> <laughs> not true <laughs> bullshit <laughs> all right so to summarize you are ghost Forest. we are at the rock shop thank you for the hospitality letting us uh record in your you are always welcome cool. I, I thanks for back more often you are welcome to do that. If you got if you got somebody else that you want to interview and you want to borrow the space, I kinda just like, hit we, me up. We have like a talk show set here. Yeah, the, yeah. This, this is lovely. Oh, uh, these tables are also like we can move them any way we want. Oh yeah, 
We could do a thing. We could bring in That's an audience. why we made him this way, so we could boom any way we want. All right. Brent, Gub, James, thank you guys. Thanks. I appreciate you. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I, and one more final plug for our friends, our sponsor, Suburban Roofing and Siding, SuburbanRoofingAndSiding.com. Thank you for watching and listening. Thank oh, you. Yeah. That was, a, that was a mic drop. drop. That was Jeez. an actual. That's the first mic drop on Carcon Carcon. I know. Oh, geez, thank man. you, James Kimball. <laughs> yeah.